This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, hello and welcome to Sogging It, the podcast by Cricketers. Four cricketers. Um, I, I we've had 10 15 minutes with this guy off air, Robbo and I. Eugene's not here, he's at a pub. Um, spilling <laughs> beer while we're putting all the, all the hard yards in. But we're so excited to have Scott Boswell with us, uh, ECB level four coach, triathlon loving head of cricket at Trent College in Knotts, coach of Plumtree in the Knotts Prem, and owner uh, of the over that everybody hates to love watching. Uh, Bozzy joins us on Slugging It to discuss getting the yips on the biggest stage, but more importantly, getting over them. Bozzy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, mate. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to having a good chat. I mean, uh, Jono's wrote the questions out this week, and the first one makes it sound like I'm going to get a red book out. Michael Aspel is going to come <laughs> on and we're going to present This Is Your Life. So I'm going to amend it a little bit because he makes it sound um, absolutely very strange. But Yorkshire born. Less said about that with cricket at the minute, probably the better. Um, first question we always ask to our guests, uh, how did you get into cricket? Your first cricket in memories? Um, was it family member? Whatever. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, you asked me off, off air before about that. How did I get into cricket? And I had no interest in cricket whatsoever, which was probably a bit disappointing for my dad, who was a real big village cricketer. He was a cyclist but always played village cricket. Being in Yorkshire, I think everybody played uh, in every every small little village. However, I didn't show any cricket interest in cricket till I was probably about 14, 15. Um, my main passion was rugby. Um, I was, you know, I went to Pockington School. I was very lucky to go to a, a private education um, on a scholarship to play rugby. And um, I was okay at rugby in the going forward with the ball, but as soon as there was any contact, um, they used to call me the traffic warning controller. I just let people go by. So <laughs> I realised there wasn't going to be a big future in, in rugby. Um, and I was in sort of the C team to about under 14s, under 15s. And, and then I started to grow. And, uh, you know, I would have that issue where I was at uh, the trousers that were about five or six inches too short. And It'd be fashionable nowadays. <laughs> yeah, Everyone's wearing it now. And, and it was a bit embarrassing. I was a bit, so they called me Bambi as well. You know, my legs would like clack together and things weren't quite synchronised until so I got to about 15. And I just remember in a, a sort of a C-team fixture that I could actually bowl okay. And uh, I remember the teacher, Mr Thorne, who was a physics teacher, said, I think you should give this a go. And uh, I ended up getting the A-team towards the end of the year. And then the following year, I played in the first team. And it was sort of fell into it. And I always knew that my dad was so passionate about the game and would always be watching the sort of the Gillette Cup on the TV and I'd be watching him and God, that is so boring. What are you doing watching <laughs> that? It goes on forever and there's never a result. And, you know, I wanted something sort of a bit more instant. And um, 
And then I showed some interest in cricket because I, I think I played for the A team and got a couple of wickets. And I didn't realise that it was a wicket when I got an LBW. And I, I only thought it was a. I only thought if I bowled somebody, that was a wicket. Uh, that was till I was probably about fifteen. And uh, then somebody explained it to me. And then um, my dad was really, um, my dad was really passionate about me getting into coaching, into cricket. And he took me to a place called Tadcaster, where the famous Jeffrey Boycott was coached yeah. and played this guy called uh, Johnny Lawrence, who was just mad as a badger, this really high-pitched voice. And he was he just had this energy when he walked in. I thought, he's crazy, but he just loves cricket. And he taught me everything. He was just brilliant. And he was never always, never completely happy with something. It was always something you could always add on. And I can hear his voice now in my head. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I loved on a Sunday night going to Tadcaster with my dad, um, and, and just having that hour coaching session with Johnny Johnny Lawrence, yeah. and it was brilliant. And then I came back the following year, as a year eleven, uh, and played for the first team and got wickets. And I liked batting, and, and I, I loved the game. I was very raw. I didn't really sort of know the tactical element of the game, but I, I think I was starting to fall in love. And then I'd go in the back where I lived in York, with this little back street at terraced housing, and I would just bowl for hours. And I put a cardboard box up at the back, and um, which my dad it was at a bike shop. So it was a cardboard box where the bikes were made, and I just put it up and I bowled for hours with tennis balls, and you know just start to get into the game watching. Um, I just watching sort of would it be in the Gillette Cup final? What would it be in those days? Ninety three, I think I can remember visualising watching when Sussex was it the AXA? Was it the first year of the AXA insurance? Or the yes, yeah, yeah. I just remember Acid Din scoring a hundred, and I, that yeah. was my first real memory. I think it. I'm loving this. Sixty overs. This is it. I want to get a bit. Of, you know, one of this. And then rugby sort of. I still played, um, and then uh, as a traffic warden controller, that my life was finished, and, <laughs> and, and cricket took over, and I didn't represent anybody till. My dad was very keen on me playing for school cricket. He just said, play school cricket, enjoy it, play a bit of club cricket for a team called Osborne Lick. And I remember at 16, we won the league and I sort of came after the season at school and got a few wickets and and it was just brilliant. I, I enjoyed it massively. And then I, at sort of 18, 19, I went to play for English schools um, and somebody, from, I think it was North Ants, I'm trying to remember the name of the scout who saw me. He said, would you like to come for a, a trial at North Ants? Uh, we've got Dennis Lilly. I was like, I didn't know who Dennis Lilly was. I was like, <laughs> sounds interesting. But I went to see him and um, I, I, mate, I met him and it was like, right, this is it. We're in. And then they gave me a two-month contract when I was about 18, 19. Uh, did two months, played the whole year out, did really well. Suffered with a lot of injuries because I've never bowled that amount of overs. You know, you play in day out. Um, day in, day out, and I had shin splints, back problems, all sorts. I spent more time with the physio bed at 18. I was like, geez, this is, this is, <laughs> this is a tough old game. But then they offered me, they said, like, go to New Zealand. I was like, wow, amazing. And my dad was like, wow, go to New Zealand. My mum was like, you're going to university. And I was like, no. <laughs> is there one in New Zealand? <laughs> yeah. So I ended up going to New Zealand, playing cricket out there. I absolutely loved it. Came back, I'd signed a two-year contract with North Ants and it, I, it, that was it. Um, and then eventually, um, I remember sitting down with Alan Lamb and he said, he said to me, Bozzy, in his accent, he said, yeah, I think, I think you've got a career here. And I was like, oh, my mum wants me to go to university and you're asking me to go to play this Alan Lamb. And, and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I eventually went to university. It was the right thing to do. I got a qualification. Um, just, I got Desmond Tutu and scraped. <laughs> Still scraped counts. It. Still counts. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, Wally Polly. Do you know, it always reminds me, every time I played, I played for British universities. And um, in those days, it was, they used to announce the, the players, but say the, the university they were from. And I was always batting 11. It would be, Anorak Singh, uh, Oxford University, Mark Wall, Cambridge, um, somebody's at Durham, and then you get to me, Scott Boswell, Wolverhampton University, that, and everybody say Wally Polly, and everybody would just erupt with laughter. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it was brilliant. And I had some great times playing at that sort of level. And then, yeah, went to play for North Ants for about five years, and then moved to Leicester in 2001. The um, I mean, as someone who I mean, I've literally loved cricket from I think the second I was born, 
um, but never got anywhere near playing professional cricket. You've got no idea how frustrating it is for someone to go, oh, well, I kind of thought it was all right at 15 and then uh, yeah. made a career out. So, uh... Yeah, and you know, I, now, I mean, oh my God, I'm the opposite. I absolutely love the game. I am. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm a badger, but I uh, probably am. I love it. I, 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 could, I could do it every minute of the day. I would coach. I just talk it. Um, I'm obsessed with it. I'll listen to podcasts. I will, yeah, I like the fitness, fitness element of it. I like the mental side of the game, the tactical side. The women's game, you know, I, I, you know, I got involved with the 100 last year. Uh, it was just brilliant. I, you know, I, I was very lucky, just really, really lucky that Tash Farron, uh, who's just been playing in England, got back into the England squad. I was very lucky that she landed bizarrely at Trent College. Very bizarrely, very grumpy Tash Farron had just been out of the England system. And she asked me one day, would I coach her? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, I'll do anything. So Friday, period six, where no one's really doing much. Um, I hope the headmaster doesn't listen to this, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always... We send a free copy to, to every school, <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> so I coached Tash, uh, and I loved it. I, 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 You know, the relationship, the work ethic... Uh, you know, some uh, you know, men don't work the same way that women work. And she, her worker ethic was incredible. And she took on board, she questioned a few things. Do you know what? She fell in love with the game again. And I was like, I've done a job there. You know, for me, I think that was probably the most rewarding thing. The feeling of somebody falling in love with back of the game and then going on to do what she did and getting back into professional uh, cricket and them getting into England, which is... For me, you know, amazing, and and getting that yeah. trust and that relationship with her was it was superb, really nice. We'll come back to uh, we're going to talk about. I mean, obviously, the amazing coaching that we you, work that you do in a lot more depth later. Yeah. Um, when you say about, I'm, I'm going to call it Wally Polly now forever. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, you, when you finished there and you'd gone to North Hans, obviously people like Alan Lamb around. I mean, what a, a grounding spot. Um, uh, you went to the um, went to the Pace Academy, didn't you? Yeah. Um, never really settled, I think you'd say, at, at North Ants. Was there any particular reason for that, do you think? Uh, I thoroughly, I mean, I look back with really fond memories. I, you know, I, re I enjoyed it. Because um, I was at university for three years. I was always coming back in July. And it just felt like I was catching up. I had two, yeah. two, two, the first season I struggled with injury, the second season, I had a really good season. I got lots of wickets in the second team. I scored, a, I think I scored 100 batting for the seconds at Somerset, which it was a road at the time, but it was 100. <laughs> if there's a place to get 100, that's it. Know what, and it was, you know, I was dropped on 95 as well. I can still see it, dropped at uh, extra cover. And I got 100, 100 out. You know, there's some really good memories. But I just, it was always catching up. And, mm. and I never felt, and I think it's really important as a player, I never felt, um, not that I fitted, I never felt that that there was a belief in me, in, in my ability. And, and, and somebody who was probably high level um, anxiety in terms of when I played and when I watched and, and I dwelled on things and it took me a long time to process information. I just needed a probably support and an arm around me. And, and I found it really hard being away from home, if I'm honest. Um, okay. I lived in a hotel. I lived in some quite interesting places. Had some great friends, but it, I found it really hard um, to probably settle in terms of off the field. Um, and that's something, you know, which I, hopefully I think nowadays is addressed a lot more uh, in terms of that support off the field, uh, which is just essential for young players to make them feel welcome when they're, you know, when they're away from home. When you've been brought up to the age of 18 and then you're away and living by yourself you've got the pressure to play professional cricket it's a tough old gig it really is um so i found that quite hard and then um i thought that was it you know after i got released um i was doing okay i had one season where i played a bit of first team and um, the last season um, i played and we won the second team championship we won the second team one day i was you know quite um you know successful in that career in that season but not playing first team cricket. The right was on the wall. I knew I was going to get released. Uh, and I thought that was it. And I, I really did. Worcester sort of came in and had a chat to me. Um, I'd already done, I'd always done really well against Worcester in seconds. And I got a five for the first class game against them. They sort of chatted a little bit, but then said there was nothing. 
And then Jack Birkinshaw said, look, let's come and have a trial. Let's have a look at you. Um, and then they offered me uh, they offered me a year. And then I sort of moved to, um, to Leicester. So I was always, I was, you know, I never cemented a first team place ever. Um, uh, whether that was self-belief or talent or ability, I don't know. Um, probably a bit of both, so a bit of self-belief, a bit of talent. Um, I worked hard. I was a team man. I worked really hard, if I'm honest. If I look back, I would say there's no regrets there. Um, I think I could have made myself a little bit harder to drop. I was an easy option, I think, always to drop. It was easy. I just accepted it and was like, yep, brilliant, thank you. I'll go and bowl 50 overs in the seconds and play 17 days on the bounce and travel back. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I would listen. I would listen to anybody, uh, rightly or wrongly. I think sometimes I was probably detrimental to my game. Um, I couldn't, um, I couldn't work out what was good for me. I didn't have, probably have the, the self-awareness in my own game and, and my own uh, knowledge of my own game and self-awareness of myself. You know, I was still relatively young and it took me, as I've mentioned before, it took me time to process stuff. I didn't realize this at the time. Uh, and then, you know, went to Leicester and, and, and did okay. You know, I did okay. And I'm probably happy with what I produced. So technically, I think my action was a car crash, you know, biomechanically. And I hated, I've spoken openly about it. I hated watching myself on TV. It made me feel sick. Um, I can watch it now, bizarrely. I can watch it. I've, you know, one of my friends, Toby Bailey, I lived up at North Ants. He did a thesis on the Yips just recently. It was a really good piece. And he showed me that. And he also had the volume on with the commentating on it, which is a really powerful way to sort of go through something that was pretty horrific, uh, life-changing. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, was, it was good to listen to people and to watch the action and talk about it. And it wasn't as bad as I sort of first, I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as what I felt it was for God knows how many years. Um, and you know, you know, ten years after that, I, I couldn't, you know, couldn't speak about that, that sort of moment. I know we're going to talk about it, but you know, ten years of absolute torture, um, uh, you know, about that Lord's final, which I'm sure you mentioned. And um, you know, one guy, Andy Ball, came up to me and uh, approached me and said, you know, do you want to talk about this? Do you want to write a piece about it? And I was like, no. What do you want me to talk about? My worst ever day. You can get. Don't know if we can swear, but um, no, right, yeah, I, I'll try and avoid it. But um, yeah, I said no, and then yeah, he, he sort of built a relationship, a couple of emails, and I was like, okay, I, I you know check out my work and checked his work out, and I thought hey, he's he's got an empathetic uh, appeal to it, and I said yeah, okay, and I'll do it. And then I he did that article, which for me was probably the most powerful thing I've ever ever done, speaking about. Mm -hmm what I'd been through and it was it was amazing it was like it was like it was out there I can talk about it rather than if somebody ever mentions it I am gonna punch your lights out you know so there's three people I've mentioned on the cricket field and I've lost it right or wrongly I've ran at somebody um I won't mention their names but one was a professional cricketer and uh it was a kid worth and I and somebody held me back otherwise I was just gone uh and there was a little 16 year old lad who ran down the wicket and did the wide side about eight times and I god I'd lost it I'd gone and um yeah and when I, I and the liver time was when I came to bowl as soon as shout here we go fill your boots I was like yeah you might be right but <laughs> don't, yeah you know don't, you can't don't, shout don't, don't shout at me and it was like wide and it's like mm. you know it just brings out so many emotions so many feelings of you know, I go back to, you know, reset and I'm back to where I was 10 years ago. But that article was, it was, yeah, just now thinking about it, I just feel, I can feel myself just relaxing. And, you know, there was a tough, you know, Robert, you know, it was a tough, tough 10 years. Um, you know, um, yeah, how I got through that, I don't know. Um, behind the scenes, in front, you know, it's probably okay, but behind the scenes, it was, it yeah, a lot going on. There was a lot going on upstairs and, you know, trying to get back to bowl and all those kind of things and depression, which I wasn't diagnosed, but I was I was pretty bad <clears throat> drinking a lot, doing other stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. And, you know, right and wrongly, it was just a way to, to deal with it. I didn't know at the time, again, but um, 
it just felt a way to deal with it, you know, to deal with um, a, a, a trauma, I suppose, in my life. And um, yeah, that, yeah, just going back to article. Yeah, I, 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 do you know what? Just thinking out loud in this conversation, I think I should speak to Andy Bull uh, and email him and say thanks because, you know, I'm really grateful that he made that contact with me to say, let's talk about this and build that relationship. So that was pretty instrumental in my development and getting over it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, and it's really important because, you know, when people contact you over things like that and say those, you know, go out their time for those like one, two minutes to say something that is so positive. I think, it, you know, that, that just, just for me is just brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Uh, a guy contacted me the other day used to play from Parkinson School from years ago and just got me on Facebook and just sent me the most amazing message about, I put some posts on about how rewarding teaching is and uh, coaching and he just got in contact with me. I just thought, that play to you. That's just amazing. It shows what great people are out there. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, um, obviously, you're, you are a little bit older than me, but me, we grew up in a similar situation, similar times, playing cricket, yeah. trying to trial around and do yeah. that. And one, It's funny that you mentioned in that thing about the housing situation and moving away from home when you're 18, 19. And, and to be fair, it happened with me at Northampton, a very, very similar thing. Yeah. It's 2003, I believe. Um, but do you think, and you, you kind of answered it there, but do you think, two, two points really, do you think that's dealt with better now? Um, in terms of getting people into new spaces, and two, the, the second part is like you've just mentioned there. Do you think the change with people, way people are happier to talk about m the mental side of the game, yeah, has 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 led to more conversations like you've just said they're happening more recently? Like I, I've never spoken much about my mental issues that happened ten, twelve years ago. Yeah. This has happened in the last six months. Okay. But so do, you, do you think that's something that's changing and obviously in a massive positive way? I mean, I don't, don't know hands on. I, I'd hope. I'd really hope. Uh, I think the support from the PCA and the general message on social media, you know, to, to open up. I would hope. I would really hope so. Uh, this, you know, the support, you know, it wasn't nothing against Northants, but, you know, I was living in a hotel. I was living in a basement with no windows, okay? So, Michael <laughs> Tim Walton, he got the big room because he's a senior pro, and I was living at the bottom of a house in a cellar um, with no windows when I was and I was thinking, I thought about this, that can't have been good for my mental health, not really like <laughs> seeing it. Uh, and and it, every time I'd drive back late at night, I'd, there was this real anxiety. I didn't know at the time, I just didn't know it because I wasn't aware of it. Like really, like just butterflies, tight chest. I'm going home. I'm leaving my family. I leave my friends, and it was it was it was horrific. If I look back, and I, I'm hoping now, I really hope that there is a you know as a as a coach in that situation. I mean, I would if I was if I was a first team coach, I would get to know. I would want to see where that person lives. I would, I would be checking that out. I'd be checking your food. I'd be checking your diet. I'd want to know your family. I'd want to know you. Are you happy? Are you happy yeah. in this situation? And I, and I think that is absolutely crucial that you, you know, this holistic approach as opposed to just getting on the field, you know, run around, do your laps, you know, your lines, your laps, your lectures and all those kind of things. Are you happy? And, and, and I, I would hope I'd hope, but I don't think it is. I don't think it's 100%. I think it's getting better. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think it's getting better. But, and again, it's on the coach, but because um, it's hard. It's so, you know, it's so hard that you, you know, you're doing your laundry. It sounds a simple thing. You're doing your laundry, you're doing your cooking, you're playing full time, and it's you're away from home or relationships or anything. It just needs to get that, you know, for me, the relationship with the player, to understand that person, to help and support them in the best way you can. And, and, I, and I, you know, rightly or wrongly, I didn't get that because that was what it was like in those times. In those, those times, yeah. it sounds like literally 300 years ago, it, you know, 20, <laughs> 20 years ago, you know, um, it, it, there, wasn't, there wasn't support. 
There was nobody to talk to. I know the psychologist now. Uh, it started to happen a little bit as I finished Northampton as a psychologist. I wasn't prepared to talk to a psychologist. I didn't even know what a psychologist was. A psychologist to me meant you, there's something wrong in the head. You, you know, you're not right. Um, so I didn't. I wasn't educated on that, um, and it didn't interest me in that part of the game at all. I don't think I was mature enough as well to probably to deal with that. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm. We um, we we have a, a lady called Dr. Amy Ziski who we did a, an episode with, who's a, a clinical. Um, psychologist okay. uh, based up in Newcastle and she's done a huge amount on sports and kind of the, the mental aspect and preparation and what have you and we we did this episode with it which is amazing and she's going to continue to do work with us but one of the really interesting things that Amy said there's a very different huge difference between a sports psychologist and a clinical psychologist and people think that a lot of sports people just assume they need a sports psychologist when actually what they probably really need is a clinical psychologist but they almost get kind of pigeonholed down one route. Yeah, that's quite really often interesting. Um, when you, I, interesting that you mentioned coaching there. So let's move on now to that kind of final at, at 2001. You know you're going to play at Lords, which is obviously going to be a, a huge occasion. C&G trophy final. Um, you'd had a brilliant semi-final. You picked up four wickets against Lanks, uh, I believe at Old Trafford. Not only four wickets, but Fairbrother, Lloyd, Atherton and Flintoff, four England players in the semi. But in between that and the final, weren't in the best of rhythm, let's say, yeah. uh, and weren't sure that you were going to play. When you talk about that relationship between coaching staff and players, just talk us through that, A, how you were told, but then how did that affect you mentally, finding that, you know, the way in which you were told 12 hours before you're going to go out and play the biggest game of your life? Yeah, so, 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 that painting the picture, obviously, uh, we played the semi-final against Lancashire and that was a month, I think probably about a month. It was always a big gap between you played the final in whenever it was, end of August, early September. So there was a month in between. Between that month, I was starting, as you said, losing a little bit of shape. I was getting pretty tired. Um, a lot of overs in county cricket. Um, I was a player that was in and out. So um, in that year, I would go and play a, a three-day game uh, for the seconds. I then remember coming out of that and traveling to go play a, uh, a one day, because I was in the one day team, a couple of first class games. I think I probably played, I reckon I worked out 22 days out of 25, a lot of cricket. And I was getting tired. And, um, and I, knew, I knew that my action wasn't the strongest and it was a bit slingy and there was a, a few wides starting to slip in. So that was happening. It, was, it wasn't the forefront of my mind. Um, Vince Wells, I remember talking once after a game saying, if you tidy up against Yorkshire, if you tidy up um, those wides, we're in business sort of thing. And, and we played against Yorkshire and I came at number 11. I don't know if you know, but it was one of, I'm going to talk about this rather than anything else, actually. <laughs> 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 let's, let's talk about a positive. I came, it's my <laughs> only ever claim to fame where I came at number 11 and all the crowds going home, the grounds and starting the lawnmower and he's ready to cut the grass as I'm coming into that. And um, Craig White's charging in bowling bouncers, and I ended up getting 27 not out and won the game. I reckon, and it was amazing, it was with Jimmy Orman, Tim Bresman was playing as a 16-year-old, he was at mid-off, me and Jimmy ran a single, we were having a little chat in the middle, we bumped into each other, fell on the floor, Tim Bresman picked up the ball, he could have walked the stumps, taken the bails off, launched it as hard as he could, he went for four overthrows, and we ended up winning the game the last time. It was amazing. I would have been probably dropped if I hadn't got those runs. So it sort of masked oh, wow. that. Uh, and I got 27 and the crowd came back and the groundsman was, and I was at the front and I was doing, I think I was twerking in the bloody, I remember <laughs> on the balcony, twerking, I don't know why I did that. I think we'd been to Anguilla and some nightclub, I'd started this little trend of twerking. I don't know why, but anyway, I did it. And I felt, I felt, I felt quite confident from that. It just lifted me a little bit. In the match, I bowled probably six. So I can remember six overs, five overs, about 27. So it was okay, but there's three or four wides in there. So I knew something wasn't quite, but it kept me in the team. I played the next match, did okay. And then it came to the final. And it was between, it was, um, I knew it was between me and Devon. Devon and Malcolm hadn't played in the games in the, um, the one-day stuff. They basically saved him for the four-day stuff. 
and he was, you know, still 50 odd, you know, but bowling 90 miles an hour as he did. As like a freak, he was unbelievable, great bloke, top bloke. And um, he actually, <laughs> he actually, bizarrely, at the Lords final, uh, he came down and won a competition for bowling. They, they, they did this competition so he could bowl the fastest. Devon bowled two balls, bowled one at 91 miles an hour. There's people like Steve Kirby and Simon Jones and bowling at 80. He came over at 92 and he came back with this big, massive check after we lost. And I remember sat in the changing room going, Oh my God, just, I was smoking, drinking, I was sat in the toilet, stripping in sweat, and he came back with a big Cheshire smile on his face with his cheque of £10,000. Look what I've won, boys! And I was like, oh, <laughs> we've just lost the final. But so before that, and the night before it, it was about 10 o'clock, and I always roomed with Jimmy Orman because we were both snorers. And um, it used to be like a, a, a snore off to see if you get to sleep before each other. So, <laughs> Sounds like when me and Paulo go on golf. <laughs> so basically, um, if I if Jimmy fell asleep before me, I'd poke him and wake him up and then try to get to sleep. But we're, we're, talk, we're chatting. It's about ten o'clock at night, and you know he said, "How are you feeling?" You know he, he, he's, he's a serious cricket. He was Jimmy, and could have played for England so many more times. You know, I just I used to idolise him. He was incredible the way he used to bowl. His away way in bang, going finish in swinging York. I was like, how do you do that? And we're just chatting away. And he said, how are you feeling? Yeah, I said, yeah, I'm a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous. We had, we had a cigarette, we we're just chilling out, having a few. We had a few beers, and then we we're about to just uh, just to you know to have a race to get to sleep. And the phone rings. So I'm like, Jimmy, have you ordered room service because Jimmy liked a burger about ten o'clock. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, no, no, no. So I answered the phone and said, it's, it's uh, Scott, it's a call from reception. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, um, I won't say names. It was a captain and it was the coach. Can you just come down? I was like, mm, oh, okay. I said, it's, so I went, I said, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy where's that? I said, oh, it's the captain, it's the coach, wanted to come down and have a chat to me. So I went down, I was like, oh, crikey. And they were sat there very seriously, sat in the chair, they'd already got everything organised. And started talking. I was like, oh, crikey. Um, and conversation started, sort of general chit chat. It's a bit weird. And and the coach fashionable nowadays. Really you, everyone's wearing them nowadays. So I was like, oh, right. <laughs> so I was like, Jesus. I was like, right, okay. So I'm thinking, right, I've got to justify myself here. I'm going to justify myself to the coach and the captain. And. Um, and I sort of said, it was with, with the white ball. It was with the white ball I do. I was starting to bowl a few wides. But I said, look, with the red ball, which was bizarrely in one day cricket at the time, we were still playing red ball for the longer version for the 50 overs. I, I was justifying myself. I still feel confident to to bowl. You know, I'm up for this. Obviously, I want to play Lord's final. I'm not going to say, no, I don't. I, I, yeah, I'm going to fuck up tomorrow and bowl. I'm going to bowl. I, I tell you what, I'll bowl 10 wides. <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, so yeah, I was, I was taken back a little bit. So I'm, I'm sat there thinking, I'm thinking, shit, wow, okay. And Vince, and I sort of justify, and then Vince, uh, sorry, the, the, the captain Vince, I mentioned his name now, <laughs> was saying, look, we're back in here. You know, we think of the red ball, blah, blah, blah. The coach was just like, mm, no, we're not, not up for this. And I was like, just get some sleep, go back. It, conversation went on for about five, 10 minutes. This is what you got to do, blah, blah, blah. Went to bed, woke up the next day, final day, and, and I could, the, just the, obviously the occasion was big. It's a Lord's final. They're still getting big crowds. Somerset hadn't been to a Lord's final in years. They brought a massive following. I think Leicester brought about 10 people. They had about, <laughs> they had about 20,000. And it was, it was a big occasion for them. And I'm netting and I can hear conversations going on. You know, is Bozzy playing? Is he, who's is Devon? Is, and, the and I'm like thinking, Jesus Christ. Nobody's named the list. It's, I think it's half an hour, whatever it was, 40 minutes before. And I'm still thinking, oh, am I playing this bloody game? And uh, I could see frantically, just as a toss is going up, Vince, uh, Vince Wells, the coach, Devon's floating around. He looked like he's marking his run. I'm like, what is going on? And then they said, Bossy, you're playing. We've won the toss, we're bowling. I was like, whoo, brilliant, thank God for that. Mark's moving up, off we go. And, and that was it. So the lead up to it wasn't... Well, it was like amateur cricket. Right? It was just so unprofessional. Yeah. And um, and then I marked her up and I looked around and I thought, wow, 
I actually felt quite calm. I felt quite calm. And I bowled the first couple of balls, it was all right. But there was one ball in the first over, and I've talked about it, it was to bowler. And um, what was bowler's first now? Peter Bowler. And it didn't feel right. And the best way I described it the other day, actually, the best way I described it is, you know when you've got that slinger, the dog slinger? Yeah, the dog thrower, sidearm. Sidearm. And you know when it gets stuck in it, and you can't yeah. quite get it out, it drops down on the feet. That, <laughs> that is the best way I can describe it. I bowled one ball and it was short and wide and he whacked me to, to backward a point for four and it was an absolute long up. And I was like, ooh, what was that? I was like, ooh, that's a bit weird. And the noise went, Wah! I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like a football game. And I walked down to third and I thought, that's a bit weird. That's not quite come out right. And I sort of was thinking about it. Anyway, the next over came. And uh, I, could just, I could just feel this anxious anxiety coming up. Old, I think Treskoff was on strike. And um, I bowled one ball, it was okay. And then I bowled a wide. It was wide-ish, not wide-wide. And then I bowled another wide. And the noise was starting to pick up. It was getting louder and louder and louder. Then I bowled a proper wide down leg side to him. And I thought, shit, I am now starting to panic. I have got, I've got three wides. I've only bought one legitimate ball. I think it was one, maybe I can't quite remember. And um, I'm thinking, shit, I'm starting to panic here. And I'm, I am going, I am going faster and faster and faster. I'm thinking, shit, what if I don't completely say, what's going to happen? And I bought another one. I thought, oh my, four, four, I am now gone. I am now gone. I heard the umpire say, uh, George Sharp said, keep going, Bozzy. Jesus, keep going. And I bought another, and that was it. I was thinking, shit, how am I going to get this? And I am circling. I'm like a, I'm just getting faster and faster. And and I'm thinking, go around the wicket, go around the wicket, go around the wicket. That's my safety option. Go around the wicket, went around the wicket, bought a wide. I thought, hold on, all options gone. I've got nothing now. I've got six wides. The noise has got louder and louder. I'm screwed. I'm absolutely screwed. What am I going to do now to get this? get it out of this absolute disaster. I'm thinking, and the noise is getting louder and louder. I'm like, I can't, there's nothing to do. And I bought another two. How I finished that over, in my head, I had no idea. I had no idea how I completed it. Um, I'd got- Looking back on it now, do you, do you wish that, I mean, obviously you, we hear a lot about, obviously Carlos Brathwaite in Stokes for those four sixties in the yeah. World Cup 2016. And Morgan now says, I wish I'd have spoken to him. I wish I'd have just calmed the situation down and and just and talk. And you actually now actively watch Morgan, like Wokes last night, yeah. every ball goes to them, talks yeah. to them, calm down, right, yeah. let's talk about it, let's plan. Yeah. Looking back on it now, I imagine that you kind of just wish that yeah. someone yeah. would have come to you and just gone, right, yeah. take a breath, yeah, let's absolutely. think about it, settle down. Um, interestingly, Saad said that he watched the video. You know, we talked about Saad at Plumtree. He, he, yeah, yeah. he said that he watched it. I didn't think he would do it. He watched it the whole thing through that article I did a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was a month ago. And he said, Why did nobody come to you? Why did nobody? Yeah. I remember Anil Kumble in a, a match that he played, he played at Northampton, he also played at Leicester. I've got a really good relationship with Anil. And uh, I remember him when I made my debut on television. He could see I was really anxious and he just put his arms on me and he just said, breathe. <laughs> he just looked at me and he said, yeah. breathe. And he just, he's, you know, he just he smiled. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I am a little bit anxious. And I just breathed and I had a bit of I was still a bit, want to go. And yeah. I bowled brilliantly. I got three wickets yeah. and for my first ever televised match, I got Cox out of the overseas. I got um, Blackwell out and I just loved it. And he was there at me off, just talking to me, laughing, throwing the ball at me and having a bit of banter. And that was brilliant. But in that finals, you know, and you've seen it, um, I can't quite remember this, Daffy was there and somebody else who I had a great relationship with, but nobody. I think the club had come to an end in terms of its success. There was a lot, the, 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 we'd had Danny Marsh as the overseas. Danny Marsh was an incredibly unbelievable overseas. He wasn't played, he'd never, I think he'd ever played for Australia, maybe played for Australia. He had us connected, had, he was brilliant. We were playing as a team. He was a finisher, he had everything. I just idolized him. Like, he was such a good, such a good, such a competitive cricketer. 
he got injured, he got fractured, um, jaw, Devin Malcolm put his contact lenses the wrong way around the ball, the wide at second slip and hit him in the face. <laughs> second slip. Oh my God. He put his contact lenses the wrong way around. And he's like, Buzzy, I can't see it. He's running in, he's bolded second slip. He's hitting the jaw. And I was like, Jesus, Dev, are you all right? And he says, he went off the field and he came back and he put his lenses in the right way. Absolute proper Dev. And then um, Marshy, Marshy broke his cheek, but so he couldn't play. So he went home and we got um Shader Freedom. Completely different, right. unbelievable, like you know, scored 100 against Lancashire in the semi-final, smashed it all over the place. But his it just didn't didn't quite connect. It was him and and it was about him, whereas Danny was always arm round, you're doing well, yeah. let's do this. And it was like, well, this is and it, it and people, because we'd had success, people were starting to move to other clubs. So people are now thinking about, right, the future. So-and-so was going here. We had five or six left the club and we're playing um, for different teams at Lancashire, all over the place. So we sort of started to lose our togetherness. And I think that showed in that final. Uh, I think we ran out of steam. Um, you know, we were in the final of that for a team that was so cheap and full of oldies and you know, half-decent cricketers. You know, cricketers worked hard, like I'd say myself. I wasn't a great cricketer, but I worked yeah. really hard. And bit bot cricketers, and and we just lost our shape. We lost our way, and we were in the we were in the forty over acts or whatever it was called, um thingy whatever. We were, in, we were in that as well. We'd won eleven games out of eleven. In yeah. that eleven games out of eleven, we <laughs> we ended up on the last game where I played in, where I yipped up when I was asked to play again. The coach sacked me on the Friday after the Lord's final and said, Posse, can you play on some Saturday or whatever it was Sunday? Not, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I've just been sacked. <laughs> and, and, and I'm never going to play professional cricket again, but can you play on Sunday? And I've just had the Lord's final two weeks ago. And I was like thinking, Jesus. So I walked out and, you know, the lads were playing football and I'm sort of trying to get involved. And I'm thinking, this is my career finished. I'm not going to play professional cricket again. I've been sacked. Will I play on Sunday? Yeah, we'll play. Yeah, of course I'll play. And um, I played in that game. I, I faked an injury. I bought a few rides. I came off the field. I just sat there thinking, this is awful. This is just, this is my worst nightmare. I'd actually went missing before the game. I ran off. I didn't want to play. Even though I said I was going to play. And I bumped him. I disappeared. I ran away. And I, my wife actually found me in a supermarket. So what are you doing here? And I was in burst out in tears. And I was all over the place. And I saw Michael Davis, who was at North Ants, who also had the yips. And he was having an interview on Sky Sports about the yips. And I was like, this isn't great. This isn't great. And anyway, I faked an injury, came off, and I was just sat in the changing room, and we lost that game. How they did it after 14 games. We lost three in a row, and we ended up losing this bloody competition. And I remember the TV being above me at Trent Bridge, and I was just like that, dripping in sweat, faking an injury. So I felt guilty for letting the kid for the team down, and they started to watch the Kent game. And if Kent lost, we would have won the league. So it was a bit of money for it as well. And then Paul Nixon, who left Leicester the year before, won the game from them. And the changing room—it was—it it was awful. So I just—we just sat there for hours. We knew five or six were leaving the club because they'd gone elsewhere for whatever financial, or just to, to to sort of develop their career. And um, yeah, I just sat down. I was like, oh my God, this is it. That's the end. It's finished. I'm not going to play professional cricket anymore. Um, I faked, I finished at Trent Bridge faking an injury that I didn't have because I just didn't want to bowl. Um, and that was it. And I just remember packing a bag and, and going home. And I was like, that's it, gone. Um, and I was sacked on the Friday. There was a few little things. They, they tokenly, I, um, Neil Burns asked if I could have any sort of psychological support, um, which I did. I had the club actually paid for somebody to see me, but I wasn't prepared to talk. I talked to this lady and I had no idea what she was talking about. I just was, I'd, I'd gone. I was in the state of no return. And then that was it, um, finished. And then and I was like, wow, what do I do now? I had a bit of money from, we won a, you know, a little bit of bonus from getting to the final and the, um, uh, and the 40 at uh, the 40 over competition, I was like, Christ, what, what do I, this is, I'm in the real world here. 
and that's when yeah. that's when that's when the wheels uh, properly came off. Like they came off. I, I, you know, I, if my wife Steph, uh, she wasn't here. I would. If I was by myself, I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't have been here. I'd have, I would have lost. That was it. I would have gone. I couldn't have coped with life. I wasn't ready to deal with things. Um, I did try. I did. You know, drank a lot. I did things I shouldn't have done. I ballooned. I got to eighteen stone. Um, I was very unhealthy. I then was rushed into hospital with a uh, heart issue. And then I just looked at myself in the mirror and was like, I've got to deal with this. I've got yeah. to deal with this in a better way. And I remember looking at myself thinking, shit, my head looks like a football. I was size 40 waist. I was, I had an irregular heartbeat and operation on my heart. To, um, I was rushed in my heart. It was going up to like 220, then going down to 60. And it was going all over the place. And I just remember looking and I was laid in the bed and my wife was looking at the... Um, at the um, the monitor and she just she couldn't get her head around it and I could feel it in my heart going up and down I was like so what's going on and she went oh no no it's all right don't worry and I was looking around the room thinking this is I can't get any lower than this you know I, I you know oh, oh I'm screwed I'm gonna kill myself and um, I thought I've got I've got to do something about it and I, and then from that day it was uh, hey <laughs> um, so just so just popped in perfect timing do you know what I, I, you know, I love it to bits, and if she wasn't here, Jesus, I would be, yeah, I just wouldn't be here. And then I, I woke up and I said, I've got, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about it. It, it, it was freaking so hard. It was so hard like, to lose weight, to get into exercise, to stop smoking. Um, uh, and I get, I've got a, a balance. And do you know what? I am still, I still mentally struggle a little bit, but I'm in a, I'm in a very good place where I've been. You know, I look back now and I think, <laughs> yeah, that was that was close. That was close. A real tough thing to go through, to battle through that. To then, I guess, have that stark realization that that you that you have to make a change in order to, you know, well, you, you've got a wife. I'm not sure whether you had the the boys at that point, but no, no, so actually, no, no. it's your own health that you you've got to yeah. make a serious change to how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, it's interesting Like you know, the self-awareness, my boy's been, my oldest has been diagnosed with ADHD. And I guarantee, I know for a fact, if I was tested, um, I, I'm off the scale of ADHD. I, I'm, um, my, my, my mind, it works overtime. I'm constantly thinking. It takes me so long to process information. It takes me... Um, to quieten my mind, it, you know, to have a quiet moment is so hard. It's really hard. And the only way I can do it now is through exercise. Um, and uh, I have been probably, um, uh, what's the word, overtrained. You know, I overtrain with exercise probably a little bit too much. And I'm now aware of that and I can control that. I think about tonight when I, I trained before I came here, uh, before I came to do this. And um, it, it's just making sure I don't get obsessed with things and um, go too far with things. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, cigarettes, um, my thinking, everything that's probably addictive um, to try and sort of curb or hide things. So exercise is one thing, one strategy that really, really helps me. Getting myself fit. Um, I still have little issues with my heart. Um, I have a regular heartbeat occasionally, but nowhere near what I've got. I had an operation in 2004 to stop something called atrial fibrillation. Um, I've got myself really fit. I do triathlons. Um, I, I got a little bit obsessed with those. Um, I, <laughs> uh, in terms of wanting to qualify for my age group, which is ridiculous because of some freaks out there been doing it before. <laughs> We've got a guy at our school, Andy Tarry, who is a, a world champion at my age group, which I hate the bloke wow. because he's so good. <laughs> um, but do you know what? I, I, I manage it now. I manage that a lot better than what I have done previously, which I, I have to be really well. I have to be really... I have to take a deep breath and think about it. In, is, is, am I taking that too far? Yeah. Even with the cricket, we, I get a little bit too much with the cricket in terms of the people I coach and I teach. I, I try and push myself too far. I'm quite introverted, which I didn't know. 
until I did the, the ECB level four course. I thought I was an extrovert, but I'm very introverted where if I give too much energy to people, I get very tired really quickly. Um, mm. And I've got to be aware of that, particularly as a teacher of burnout. And I have burned myself out. I burned myself out just before, about 10 years ago, properly burned myself out and by giving too much. And then I had to spend, I had to spend a week. I went to my dad's, they lived in France at the time, and I just spent a week in bed where I'd completely and utterly destroyed myself. I was training 15 hours a week, got a little bit obsessed by it. I work God knows how many hours. Um, and I just got, yeah, and I've got a, a really good balance. You know, I've got a lovely, amazing wife. I've got two amazing boys. You know, I, I, you know, I've got a really good club team. You know, I even have to work with Saad occasionally. That's quite hard. <laughs> I'm, joking, I'm joking. He's great. Um, you know, it's a lovely club. It's Plumtree, which I'm sure you agree. You know, competitive club, great people, yeah. amazing people. Mm. Club. I know your club is, you know, superb. And I'm great settings, by the way. And, um, and, and, you know, I've coached the hundred. So that's for me, that little bit next, something I'm thinking about that sort of self-confidence, yeah. self-belief, uh, which we talked, I think we talked offline about Tash Farron, who sort of gave me that little bit of confidence and that boost, which is something I'm thinking about. I'm sort of tinkering with. Yeah. Uh, I have my own coaching company that's going really well. And obviously at Trent, which is a, you know, you've got we've got Freddie McCann, who's at your club. You know, I think he'll thrive there. Uh, you'll see, yeah. you know, it, it is he'll just thrive there. He, you know, he's a great kid, and you'll see that hopefully when he comes back to you, be fitter, stronger, and you know, um, and score lots of runs. It probably has Plumtree again, but uh, <laughs> it's been a big, it's been a big cycle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've still got we have still got so much to talk about, so much so that. Um, we are going to have to split Bozzy's interview into two. Uh, we like to keep these to about 50 minutes. We just hit that. Um, so we're going to stop here, but then tune in next week for part two. Uh, just quickly, we're going to thank the Lord's Taverners, uh, our charity partners. Please don't forget, please text 60331 to donate £3 to the amazing work that they do. Thank you for supporting them so far, and please make sure to continue doing that. Woodstock Cricket Company, obviously the best bats the world's ever known. Uh, I can say that. I own it. Um, and, of course, Big Spoke Brewing Company. Uh, thank you for, uh, to them for their support. Uh, go online. There is a slogging it 20 is the discount to use, I believe, for 20% off anything you want to buy from them. Um, yeah, we are going to split this into two. So, uh, yeah, we're going to keep recording, but we're going to stop this one now. And so you're going to have to wait for the second half. So for now, bye-bye. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.